0: If you'd please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. bit of a longer section tonight. We'll be reading John chapter 11, the first 44 verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, She went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word again this evening, we see held forth in it your power and your glory, the power that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has even over life and death itself. I pray that you would write this truth on our hearts, that you would comfort and assure us by the gospel and the hope of the resurrection and the life that we have in it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the gospel of John, we have seen him perform many great signs and wonders, miraculous works of feeding. For instance, providing bread and fish for the multitude of 5,000 and turning water into wine and doing miracles of healing, he restored a paralytic man and another man who was born blind. Now, these miracles, these signs, as we've talked about before, they serve a purpose. They are to validate Jesus' word about himself. He does these things to prove that he is the Son of God, that he was sent from the Father that he is the Messiah, the one who came to save the world from its sins. Now, some of these miracles have provoked major public reactions. The two major healing miracles that Jesus has done, they were both done on the Sabbath. And so they drew charges from the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus was a sinner. He was a Sabbath breaker. The last one, the healing of the blind man, resulted in that man's excommunication from the synagogue Though he came to faith in Christ, he was cast out from the Jewish religion. The feeding miracle at Capernaum earlier had resulted in a mob following Jesus for a time when they just wanted more food. But eventually they dispersed. They gave up when Jesus' teachings got too difficult to stomach. Now it is notable that these miracles have all pertained to the needs and cares of this life. Hunger. Hunger. Sickness, injury. They've all been things to supply the needs of this life or to improve it for those who have had difficulties, those who have had setbacks. But what if Jesus performed a miracle that demonstrated his power over life and death itself? That is where we arrive tonight. Now we are approaching a critical point in Jesus' life and ministry. His public ministry, at least time-wise, is coming to a close. We're about halfway through the Gospel of John, but in the time as far as time, we are down to just over a week of his life and ministry left. In the next chapter, we will see the triumphal entry, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem to face his suffering and death. But right before that, we see a sign that does show Jesus' sovereignty over life and death itself. And we will look at John's account of this miracle tonight in four points. First, we see a delay in verses 1 through 16. Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is gravely ill, but he takes his time in showing up. Second, we see a discourse in verses 17 through 27. Once Jesus arrives, he teaches, he provides valuable information. Third, we see distress In verses 28 through 35, Jesus shows his love for his people and his care for their suffering. And then fourth and finally, a demonstration in verses 36 through 44. Jesus will show his power in the greatest way he has done yet. So again, we have delay, discourse, distress, and demonstration. First, we see a delay in verses 1 through 16. We learn here for the first time in John of Jesus' friends in Bethany, the three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We hear that Mary will be involved in a later episode of anointing Jesus and washing his feet. But for now, we learn that Lazarus, the brother, is sick. And so the sisters send for Jesus. Now, it may be that they send for Jesus merely out of concern, but Probably, given that they know Jesus and they know what he's been up to, they are expecting Jesus to perhaps come and heal Lazarus. Now, Jesus' response might come as a bit of a surprise to us and to those present. He sounds almost dismissive at first. He says, this is not a sickness unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This is similar to how Jesus responded to his disciples back in chapter 9 when they asked him why the man who had been born blind was blind. They wanted to know whose sin was responsible. Jesus' response then and now was that this thing that has happened, it is actually for his glory. He was glorified through the blind man by being there to heal him and to receive him as one of his sheep. And similarly, the sickness and suffering of Lazarus Is purposed by Jesus for his own glory. Now, this might brush up against some of what we think about the purposes of evil and suffering. We do confess that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, and that's easy enough to believe in abstract. Sure, God is God, He knows everything, He foreordains everything. But what this means, the implications of this can be tough for us to swallow sometimes. This means that God has ordained our suffering, our illness, the things of this life that we don't like, the things that make life hard, the things we don't enjoy, even the things that hurt us and can kill us. And we don't always have the benefit that Lazarus and his sisters had and that They will see directly and quickly how it works for God's glory. And yet we must trust that God does use all things of this life, even the bitter providences, for his glory and for our good. Now, Jesus loved this family. He loved these three siblings in Bethany. They were dear friends. But once he gets the news of Lazarus' illness, he stays two more days in the place that he was. Now remember from last time that Jesus was now over across the Jordan. He was in the place where John the Baptist had previously ministered, and that his ministry there was being effective. Those who previously followed John were coming to him. Now it would have taken some time to get the message of Lazarus' illness to Jesus. Travel in this day was typically done on foot. A walk from Bethany to this place in the Transjordan would take a while. It would have been about 60 or 70 miles. Nowadays, we can drive that in about an hour. But back then, it would be a few days of walking at the very least. Also, that means they sent a messenger at some cost and difficulty. This means that they very much want Jesus to respond and to come to them as soon as possible. The illness was serious enough to warrant that kind of effort. Lazarus's death was a real possibility. But there is an additional layer of complication here. Bethany was in Judea. It was in the south. It was near Jerusalem, only a couple miles away from Jerusalem. Now, we have learned of late in John that Jerusalem is a difficult place for Jesus to go. The authorities in Jerusalem and Judea, the scribes and the Pharisees, they have repeatedly tried to incriminate and arrest Jesus and put him to death. Moving towards Judea is moving a step closer to his suffering and crucifixion. But after a couple more days in the Transjordan, Jesus resolves again to go to Judea to see his friends. This even over the objection of his disciples in verse 8. They know what could happen to Jesus if he goes back there. In fact, last time he was there, the Pharisees had tried to stone him. Now Jesus responds to them with a statement in verses 9 and 10 that at first glance can seem a little vague and confusing. He talks about the hours in the day. There's 12 hours in the day versus the night, also 12 hours. These times are fixed. They are not changeable. See, the disciples fear that Jesus return to Judea will bring about his death. But they seem to fail to understand something that has been true of Jesus' life and ministry. His time is appointed, His time is set, just as the hours in the day. It will not get one second closer or one second further away. Jesus knows what is to come, and He knows that His hour, though closer now than it has ever been, is still not yet here. Just as the day and night are fixed, So is the duration of Jesus' life and ministry. He is the shepherd who lays down his life willingly. No one takes it from him. And so he will not fear his death at the hands of men before his appointed time. But Jesus also, when he is ready to go, talks to his disciples about Lazarus. He says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, they don't understand this at first. They think that Jesus is just talking about sleep, that he'll wake up and he'll be okay. Jesus is going to go and wake him up and everything's going to be fine. But then in verse 14, Jesus is more clear. Lazarus is dead. and the time it has taken to get the message to Jesus and his disciples and the further delay of their departure, Jesus, via his supernatural knowledge, knows that Lazarus has already died. Then he follows this declaration with a fascinating statement. He says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, if one did not know what Jesus meant and what he purposed to do, this statement could almost seem callous. I'm glad I wasn't there when my friend died. But Jesus reveals the purpose for this gladness. It is so that he might do great things and that his disciples might believe. Jesus already knows and he has already purposed. He has already decided how this is going to go. He's going to go and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it will be a great sign and wonder and many will come to believe him as a result. But in verse 16, we Get a response from Thomas, better known as Doubting Thomas for things that come later. But Thomas has a rather fascinating response. He says, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas isn't talking about going and dying as Lazarus has died. No, he is expecting what has already been raised that Jesus will go to Judea and he will be put to death. Now, it shows devotion, that the disciples are willing to do this. They're willing to go and die with Jesus. But it also shows that they are still struggling to grasp Jesus' sovereignty over life and death, including his own. Unlike Jesus, who does not fear evil men, these disciples, they still do fear evil men and what they might do. But they're about to learn. And this brings us to our second point. After the delay, we come to the discourse in verses 17 through 27. So in verse 17, Jesus and his disciples come to Bethany to find, as expected, that Lazarus was dead. He had in fact been buried already for four days. We see also that there are some potentially unwanted guests from Jerusalem. Those of the Jews, that would be those of the scribes and Pharisees who had been Jesus' adversaries. They were there as a part of Lazarus' funeral proceedings. And we see in verse 20 that Jesus is greeted by Martha. She speaks words of sorrow, but also words of hope. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Martha seems to have some expectation that Jesus could do something about this. But not completely. She doesn't get all of it yet. For Jesus answers her that her brother will rise again. And Martha takes this to mean that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now this does show the faith of this family. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the forgiveness of sins. They believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe in the life everlasting. But Jesus responds to her with another of his famous I am statements that we have seen throughout this book. This time he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There is this fascinating interplay in this discussion, this moving back and forth between talking about the resurrection of Lazarus, which is about to happen, though they haven't quite seemed to figure this out yet, anyone besides Jesus, and this resurrection of the dead that comes at the last day. Jesus is using the former, the death and the resurrection of Lazarus as a picture to illustrate the spiritual and eternal reality of that he is the resurrection and the life that comes in the end for his people. Just as he illustrated that he is the light of the world previously when he gave the man born blind his sight. Now he doesn't do this sign because it is necessary to persuade Martha. He asks if Martha believes that he is the resurrection and the life, and she already does. She continues to make the true profession. She knows that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And she believes in the resurrection of the last day that comes in Christ. Now, this is also a fascinating profession in light of our previous passage in chapter 10. See, the Jews then demanded that Jesus clearly reveal himself as the Christ. And yet for Jesus' sheep, those who belong to him, he has already revealed enough. They already know. Martha already knows that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, before he even does anything about Lazarus. But there remains this matter of Lazarus. This brings us to our next point. After the delay in the discourse, we come to distress in verses 28 through 35. We were initially told that when Martha came out to meet Jesus, that Mary, Lazarus's other sister, had stayed in town, in the house, when Jesus came near. But in verse 28, Martha sends for Mary to come out. Now it seems that part of this effort, part of this meeting Jesus outside of town, is to avoid the attention of the Jews who had come to the house to weep, since they weren't exactly Jesus' friends. But it doesn't matter, because when Martha comes to get Mary, they follow anyway. They think that the sisters are going to the tomb to mourn, and they're there to mourn, so they decide to come along. But instead of coming to the tomb, they come to Jesus. And when Mary comes to Jesus, she is stricken with her grief. She falls down at Jesus' feet and says what is true. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus could have stopped this, but he didn't. He chose to let it happen. God could stop us from facing any trials and struggles of our lives, but often he doesn't. Yet just because God does not stop our suffering does not mean that he is cold and indifferent to our suffering. Jesus sees Mary weeping at his feet. Also the Jews coming and them also weeping, grieving. He is overcome with his own emotion. He is overcome with his own grief. Though Jesus is fully God, he is also fully man. He suffers grief. He experiences pain as a man. When he sees his dear friend Mary in such sorrow, he cannot help but be gripped by it. Now, Jesus next asks to see the tomb. He wants to go where Lazarus has been buried. Now, again, Jesus knows what he is going to do. He knows how this story is going to end. He's already said to his disciples and even implied to Martha what he's going to do, even if they don't yet understand. He is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet this does not stop what happens in verse 35. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. But it conveys to us that Jesus sympathizes with his people in their weakness and their grief and their sorrow. Jesus truly loved and cared for these people. They were his friends. And even though he knows that just a few minutes from now, Lazarus is going to walk out of that tomb, he also knows that they have suffered, that they are in pain. They are grieving, and he shares in their grief. Now, isn't it comforting to know that we have a Savior who knows and shares in our grief? We are so often inclined, when we suffer in this life, to think that he is distant, that he doesn't know, he doesn't care what we are going through. And yet Jesus became one like us. He took on a human nature. He experienced this fallen and sinful world, though doing so without sin. And within this, he experienced grief. He experienced loss. As Isaiah prophesied, part of Christ's atoning work was to bear our sorrows. Jesus didn't just die to save us from our sins. He died to save us from all the things that sin does. Death, loss, mourning, grief. Now we don't experience this deliverance fully in this life, but we have the hope of Revelation chapter 21 that when we are resurrected, when we enter the new heavens and the new earth, every tear will be wiped away. And yet Jesus shed tears And in this, we know that when we must shed tears, our Savior knows and hears and understands. What a great comfort this brings. But there also comes a time when sorrow ends. And this brings us to our final point. After the delay, the discourse and the distress, we come to the demonstration in verses 36 through 44. The Jews, the scribes and Pharisees that were present there, they take notice of Jesus' grief. They say, see how he loved him. He truly did love and care for his friend Lazarus. But some just can't resist the opportunity to gain, say, their rival. They say, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? They'll use even this tragedy to try to get a leg up on Jesus and try to undermine and discredit him. They just don't quit. But Jesus is ready to do what he has come to do. He goes to the tomb, which is a cave with a stone against it. He asks for the tomb to be opened. Now, it does not seem that this was a conventional request because Martha seems surprised and hesitant He's been in there for four days. He probably stinks by now. Are you sure you want to do that? But Jesus is resolved. He says to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus has come to this place at this time to do this act to demonstrate the glory of God. That seems to still any hesitations as the tomb is opened. And Jesus prays to his father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He was surrounded by these Jews who had constantly harassed him and claimed that he was a sinner and a blasphemer who God could not and would not hear. But God has heard Jesus and God always hears Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God and has perfect Trinitarian union with God the Father. And Jesus even says as much. He says, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, he's putting the Jews, he's putting those who doubt him and resist him on notice. God does hear him, not them. The Father is known through the Son. No Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no salvation. After the prayer, he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. Now imagine you are there. Imagine you don't know what's coming. You see a man yelling into a grave, at a man who had been dead for over four days. What would be running through your head? What would have been running through the minds of Jesus' Jewish opponents as he's doing this? They probably think that's a little weird. They probably think that's a little crazy. Lazarus is dead. He's not coming out. Well, little do they know. Because Lazarus does come out. Bound in grave clothes, which... Probably would have made for some difficult walking. But all the same, Lazarus, the dead man, walked out of the tomb alive again. Jesus has done his greatest miracle yet. Now the reaction in the next couple of verses, which we'll look at in detail next time, is divided. Many of these Jews, even these rivals of Jesus, finally after this come to believe But the murderous plot against Jesus will also continue. Even seeing the dead raised is not enough for them to believe. But that is for next time. For now, we are left with the reality that Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus so powerfully illustrates and demonstrates. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The only one, in fact, He doesn't say, I am a resurrection and a life. Again, I say it over and over again. No Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no salvation. Jesus is the only hope for life after this life. What Mary and Martha and Lazarus believed was true. That those who belong to Jesus, those who repent of their sins and believe in him, believe in his life, his death, his resurrection, will themselves share in the resurrection of the last day. We will suffer in this life because of sin. We will all eventually face our own deaths. And on the way, we will face the suffering and death of others around us, those we love. And even Christ himself experienced that grief as we do. But our only true hope in our grief is in Him. Perhaps you're here tonight and you are dealing with grief. You're experiencing suffering. You're facing loss. Jesus Christ has walked where you walk. And if you belong to Him, He loves you as He loved Lazarus. See how He loves you. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. Abide in his love. Perhaps you're here tonight as one of those skeptical Jewish rivals that day in Bethany. You hear about Jesus. We read these words tonight about who Jesus is and what he has done. But you do not believe. Friend, there is no resurrection and there is no life anywhere else. Only Jesus raises the dead. Only Jesus can raise us after death, forsake other gods, forsake false worship, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, who alone is the resurrection and the life, or else perish apart from him, face only death and condemnation. May we all have the resurrection and life that comes only through Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you that in it you show forth your power, that your son Jesus Christ shows forth his power as the resurrection and the life, that just as he raised Lazarus that day in Bethany, he will raise all of us on the last day and he will take his children to be with him, take away their sorrow, wipe away their tears. And I pray that knowing that, we would Live this life confidently, expectantly, even as we face suffering and sorrow. We would know that in the end, everything that is lost will be given back. All that we suffer in this life will be worth it in the end. I pray that we would hope and trust and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there are any here tonight who do not believe that you would work faith in them by your Holy Spirit, that they would be renewed and that they would believe in Jesus For he and he alone is the resurrection and the life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamilopc.com That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.